Well, good morning again. We're so glad you guys are here with us. If it's your first time at Journey, we're especially glad you guys are with us and took some time out of your busy weekend. Uh, On your way out, we have a gift for you just for coming today, and we hope to see you again in the future. Uh, If you're new here at Journey, just cover your ears on this next part. You don't have to listen to it. Uh, But we announced this last week, and so we'll do it again. Uh, We released our annual budget, and so we realize uh, that money is a weird thing in church. Um, People don't like to talk about it, but we like to be upfront about everything, and so you can grab these at the welcome desk. It has the breakdown where every single dollar that's given through donations and tithes go to um, annually at Journey. It's also available on the app, so you can take a look at that. If you have any questions about that, about how the money is spent, feel free to ask us any questions at any point in time. Uh, We will be talking in this series in a couple weeks about money. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I want you to come. And so, uh, so we will talk about that, but I promise you it's not what you're expecting, all right? And so uh, we are in this series, The Game of Life, and so we opened up this series by talking about the idea that life can often feel like a game. Now, when you play a game, there's an objective to win or to lose, you know, and, and some of, we talked last week about how competitive I am and how competitive some of you guys are, um, but the thing is, when you play a game, so when you play a board game or a game of cards or you play a sport or you run a race, as we talked about last week, it's very easy to tell if you're winning or losing, okay? And so when you're playing a board game, you might be able to tell by the stack of money that you have, or if you play Monopoly, how many properties you have. In a card game, you keep score. Um, In the sports, you can look at the scoreboard. It's easy to tell if you're running a race, you're either in front or you're behind. And so it's very, very easy when we think about that to tell whether we're winning or losing. It's much harder to tell if we're winning or losing in the things of life that actually matter, like our family, our marriage, um, our finances, how our spiritual life is going. It's often hard to tell, even though it feels like a game sometimes we're trying to win, how well we're actually doing. But if we want to win in the areas of life that matter most, outside of a board game or a sports field or whatever that type of thing is, it often requires some reflection. It requires us being willing to ask some questions. And so last week, we started the series with a simple question. When it comes to areas of your life, and it's your life, you decide how you want to ask this, what is the win? Because it's always better, whether you're competitive or not, to win versus not winning. And so when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your family, when it comes to your relationships, how are you doing? And sometimes that requires some honest and awkward evaluation. Sometimes you have to have some tough conversations with some people to kind of get to where you need to be. And so we encourage you to do that, to ask the question, what's the win for me in this season? What's the win for me in this area of my life? Now, this week, we're going to introduce some new questions, because when it comes to winning, sometimes what happens is there's reasons we're not winning. There's actual tangible things that we can talk about and see that this is actually what's holding us back from being able to win. And so I'm just going to start by just asking you a couple of questions. It's real simple. Um, When it comes to the game of life, when it comes to your life, what is it that's holding you back? So what is it that's actually holding you back from living the life that you want to live? The second question is kind of like this. What are you holding on to? that in reality actually has a hold on you. So you're holding on to something and you think you're in control, but the reality is this thing that you're holding on to is actually in control. What is weighing you down because you refuse to let it go? What's slowing you down? To use the race analogy, is there something that's actually slowing you down when it comes to running the race? And then here's the tough one for some of us. What are you holding on to that you feel compelled to keep hidden? 
What is it that you're holding on to that, that you don't ever want them to find out? You don't ever want him to find out. You don't want her to find out. You don't want your kids to find out because you're afraid it might change the way that they view you. You, you would be humiliated if your friends knew, if he knew, if she knew. Is there anything that you're holding on to that you would just be honestly embarrassed if people actually found out that's a part of your life, if it's a part of your world, if it's a part of the way that you see your world? Is there anything that you're dragging around in life that you're hoping that nobody's going to find out about? When I, uh, I became an adult, I don't, I don't feel like an adult, I'm 41, but well, I say when I became an adult, so I was in college, I got my first full-time job, I bought a house. We'd never had cable growing up, and so I didn't know all the things that was cable. And so when I first bought a house, I got cable, um, and I got fascinated with this one channel, and many of you guys are like, of course, uh, it was Animal Planet. You guys watch Animal Planet? Okay, so it was in the Discovery Network before Discovery got weird. So, uh, so I used to watch Animal Planet all the time, and years ago, I watched this kind of documentary, and it was very fascinating about this one aspect of it. And some of you maybe have heard this before, you knew this, but for some of you may not. Um, do you know how in certain parts of the world they actually catch monkeys? And it was fascinating to me when I, when I kind of saw this. So the way they catch monkeys, it's pretty simple. Um, so they don't have a lot of technology and they don't have a lot of advanced equipment. I mean, here hunting for things right now, you guys cover yourselves in pee and the hand up. And it's, it's not hunting. You're, 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 okay. So I'm just kidding. All right. So anyway, no emails. All right. So, um, so what they do to catch monkeys in certain parts of the world is they will take a coconut and they're readily available to them and they'll take some simple string and they'll tie it around the coconut. And then what they'll do is they'll drill a hole in the coconut just big enough that a monkey could actually put its hand inside the coconut. And so what they'll do is they'll take a banana or they'll take some fruit or what they've even found that they can do is take like, uh, apparently monkeys like, like shiny things. So they'll take like some coins or something and they'll stick them inside the coconut and then they'll put it out on the beach or by the tree. And so what'll happen is eventually this monkey will come across this coconut. It'll pick it up, might shake it around. It'll see the hole. It might look into it. And what'll happen is the monkey will take its hand and because that hole is just big enough, it can fit its hand inside the hole. And so the monkey will grab hold of the banana or the coin or the piece of fruit. Now, there's a problem for the monkey that it doesn't realize. The problem is, as soon as that monkey grabs that thing and makes a fist, now its hand is not big enough to come out of the hole. And so the monkey will hold on to whatever it is that it found inside of that coconut, and it will hold on to it in spite of the fact that the, the trappers are now approaching the monkey. The monkey will refuse to let go of what's inside of there. And in turn, it grabs hold of this thing. And now it's going to be enslaved by this thing because the trappers will come along and they'll put the monkey in a cage and they'll take the monkey to wherever they're taking it. And what was fascinating was the, the person in the video, they said, you don't actually trap a monkey. The monkey actually traps itself because its refusal to let go of the thing that's holding it back. This refusal to let go, all it has to do is just let go of what's inside and it could simply slide its hand right back out and run away and be free. So the bottom line of today's message, if you fall asleep or you lose interest or you just don't care, um, you need to let go of the banana and run away. That's it. <laughs> just let it go and run away. It might be that simple, that the reality is, based on the questions we ask, some of us realize we're holding on to things that we thought we had a hold of, but in reality, it's actually holding on to us and not allowing us to live the life that we want to live. Now, if you're not a Christian, 
which is a Jesus follower. Um, you know, however you define that for you, and we're glad that you're here and you're glad that you're listening, that's pretty much all I have for you. That's, that's it. Um, you can take it from there because the reality is, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, you know the things in your life that you're holding on to that's costing you in your relationships, that's costing you at home, that's costing you financially, that's costing you in terms of your body, things you're doing to your body or allowing to be done to your body or things you're putting in your body. You know what it is that you're holding on to. And you know your life better than I do. And so you can take it from here. there. It's up to you. And the other thought is this, and, and you know this, um, I have no authority to tell you how you should live your life. That's your choice. And I can give you verses and texts and all these things, but, but I don't have that authority. It's up to you to figure out what you need to do from here. But I do want to add one more thing, just to kind of get your brain going a little bit. Um, the reality is that all of us, whatever we're holding on to, whatever it is that's slowing us down, whatever it is that's dragging us back, the reality is... Um, we often think these things that we're doing, they're only hurting us. And that's just simply not true. The things that's slowing you down and hurting you from living the life that you want to live is often, oftentimes, hurting the people around you. And so you just need to know that because, see, we often think that we like got everybody fooled, that everything's great, and that we pretend like everything's great. And the reality is people know. And what happens most of the time is they just got tired of bringing it up because as soon as they bring it up, you get defensive. They haven't forgotten. They still notice. They just don't want to deal with your defensiveness. And so it's just a suggestion, just an idea to realize that sometimes the things you're holding on to, it's not just impacting you. It's impacting the people around you. So maybe these next couple of minutes, I hope you still pay attention, even if you're not a Jesus follower, because what, what the Bible says about this principle, it, it kind of goes in line with this line of thinking. And, and so if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, so you someone that's put your trust and your faith in Jesus, um, there's a real problem with the idea of allowing anything to grab hold of you and actually enslave you and now control you. So, so just like the monkey as it grabs hold of that thing, that thing now has a hold of it. And, and now because of these choices that this monkey's made, its refusal to let this thing go, it's now going to be enslaved by whatever it is that trapped it. So the problem with being mastered by anything, if you're a Christian, is simply this. Um, you already have a master. And anything else that you allow to master your life is now in competition with who's supposed to be the master of your life. And I know that we don't like the word master because it conjures up all kinds of ideas and imagery of slavery, and especially in our country, it was the darkest and one of the worst things that, that we have done as people. But um, let me ask you a question. What else would you call the idea of allowing something to hold on to your life in such a way that it affects your life, influences your life, controls your life, and impacts your life and degrades your life, not only for you, but the people around you, if that's not being enslaved by something, then what else would you call it? And so if you're a Christian, obviously, you know, you got to listen to what the Bible actually says about this. And so Paul, he, he talks about this. And so Paul, as we talked about last week, he's this first century Jewish man, and he wasn't a follower of Jesus, and then he has this encounter with Jesus, and his whole life changed, but he's a super well-educated. He's a Pharisee. So these were highly educated, really intelligent, smart men. Um, and, and Paul goes on to write much of the New Testament. He writes these letters to churches. And there's one particular area that he always wanted to go, but for whatever reason, he couldn't go to, and that's Rome. And the reason 
reason that Paul wanted to go to Rome is because Paul was actually a Roman citizen, um, and so he had a heart for the people of Rome for them to hear the good news of Jesus. Um, but for one reason or another, it never worked out towards until the end of his life. But he writes this letter. It's this famous kind of book, we would call it now in the Bible, but it was originally a letter, and it's the book of Romans. It's a super fascinating book. And so he's writing to these people who live in Rome. And again, remind yourselves that living in Rome as a Christian is incredibly dangerous. The culture of Rome, not only dangerous for your life, but the culture of Rome has so many things that will pull at your heart and your mind just like it is today. And so he's speaking to these people and he's trying to remind them of some principles. And so when he's writing this letter um, or maybe dictating this letter, um, he does this often. He gets to a point where he's explaining a lot of things because he's really smart. And then all of a sudden he has to pause and take a time out because he really realizes that what he's talking about, even though to him it's kind of obvious and common sense, it may not be to everybody. And so he wants to remind them of something. And so every once in a while in his books and his letters, we'll see him take a a moment, a pause. And and here's how he starts it. He says this in Romans 6.16. He says, don't you know, you ever everybody say that to you, don't you know, don't you know? All right. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone, or some translations say something, So this is someone or something. When you offer yourselves to someone or something, all right, as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey. So if you offer yourself to someone or something that now has control over you, okay, there's a problem. Because now, we don't like this language, I get it, you have become a slave to that thing. You're going to obey that thing. Where that thing leads you, you're going to follow, You're obeying the thing. That's the dynamic. And so some of us, we know this is true. We have given ourselves to someone or something, a habit, a pastime, a pathway, whatever it might be, and now all of a sudden this thing has control over us to the degree that it almost feels like it's our master. So here's why he says this is a big deal. He says, he goes on to say, whether you are a slave to sin, which leads to death, or obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. Now, I realize that when I say part of that sentence, for some of you, you get kind of defensive. And and the big part of it is you are a slave to sin. Okay, And and, and so some of you are like, well, of course he's going to talk about sin because he's a preacher and this is church. I can guarantee you I'm just as bad as some of you in this room. Okay, So I have my faults. And so this idea of being a slave to sin, it's really fascinating because um, sin is something we all deal with. And the Bible, it's very clear when Jesus comes along how he defines sin. And, and I want to give you a good definition of sin because some of you, depending on your religious background, um, you do not actually have a good definition of sin. And so when Jesus comes along, he simplifies the definition, definition of sin so simply. Jesus never gives a list of sins. Look it up in the Gospels. Now, Paul's going to come along later and talk about some of these things in detail. Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus defines sin so simply, um, we almost don't want to understand it. And so here's what he says. He says, sin is simply this. Sin is anything that hurts you or the yous around you. Sin is simply anything that hurts you or hurts the people around you. And so sin is anything that hurts the ones you live with. The ones you're raising, the one that you're married to, the one that you're dating, the one that you work with, the ones that you raised, that's sin. Sin is when you hurt someone or you hurt yourself. And it's so clear that we almost want to make it something else because it's something we're all going to deal with. 
And so here's the thing is if you're God and you have all these people and, and there's this famous Bible verse that says, for God so loved the world. So the world includes you and all the yous around you. If God loves somebody so much, then, and let's just ask this question. Um, if you love someone and you see someone hurting the person that you love, don't you think you might address it? And this is what he does. He says, I'll put a word to it. It's, it's sin. Sin is when you hurt. And so Paul says, when you're a slave to sin, which leads to death. Now, we're not talking about like death like when you die, die, like at the end. Now, it can happen to some of us that our sins and choices we made. But, but sin here is even bigger because sin does lead to death. And, and you know it. Sin kills things. For example, and I know this is a painful example for maybe some of us in this room. Um, if you or someone you know, or maybe your parents, ever went through a painful, dreadful, long divorce, usually the reason that they go through that divorce is because somebody sinned. And you're pushed back and be like, no, they didn't sin. They just couldn't work it out. Well, no, according to the definition of sin, where you hurt someone, because here's what happened. Someone had a secret. Someone was unfaithful. Or it's simply the fact that at one point in their marriage, they stood up in front of a bunch of people, all dressed up real nice, and they made a bunch of vows to each other, like vows to put the other person first, vows to protect. And they just couldn't keep those vows. And in turn, they hurt that person. And so that's a sin because you hurt somebody. Or maybe more practical for some of us, um, sin kills relationships, right? You ever been lied to? You ever been deceived? You ever had someone talk about you behind your back and you found out? You ever been taken advantage of? You see, when those things happen, um, when I talk to people a lot of times and do counseling, you know, and I always remind them, like, see, when trust is broken, and, and see what happened is we, we thought it was this way, but then we found out it was this way, and now our relationship is fractured and the trust has been broken. You know what that feels like? It feels like death. Because what we thought we had and what we actually have are not the same thing. And now this relationship that we thought we had, now it's dying because of this trust has been broken can kill a relationship. Sin can kill a career. I, I know people, and maybe you do too, that are no longer employed where they were once employed because of choices that they made. Or, or their career path took a different trajectory because they did something that hurt themselves or hurt the company or hurt the people around them, and now no longer they, they have that, you know? So sin kills those things. But maybe the hardest one to kind of deal with is the fact that um, sin destroys something else. Sin kills the person that you see every morning when you look in the mirror. Because sin can kill your confidence. Sin can kill your health. It can kill the sense of financial security or emotional security that you thought you had or relational security that you thought you had. But sin kills something else in a lot of us that, that is the hardest, and it's the fact that sin kills our peace. And this isn't even like a Christian thing. This is just a thing thing. Like, like when you do something that hurts somebody, when you do something that hurts yourself, like it eats at you. It hurts you. Sin can kill you peace with God, but it can also kill the peace that you have with other people and also can kill the peace that you have 
with yourself. And so, of course, if God is who he says he is and he's invited you into this relationship, not only with yourself, but with himself, but other people, then if God loves you as much as he says he loves you and, and loves the people around you as much as he says he loves you, then, of course, God is against sin. He's not against you. He's against sin because he's for you and he sees how much it hurts. And so Paul says, well, the opposite is this, that sin, which leads to death, is part of the problem, but then there's obedience, which leads to righteousness. And, and we hear that word obedience, and we're like, okay, here he is. You can start telling the rules and the laws and all that stuff. No, see, here's what obedience to God is. Obedience to God is the idea that I live my life in such a way that I'm not going to hurt myself or hurt the people around me. It's that simple. And, and see, obedience is all about that I did the right thing. And, and see, here, here's why this is important. Because there is nothing better in the world than going to bed at night as you lay up and look at your ceiling and you think to yourself, I don't know what's going to happen next with this situation, but I did the right thing. I don't know what's going to happen next with this kind of thing that's happening, but I can go to bed at night knowing that, that, that I, did, I did not hurt myself and I did not hurt anybody else. And there are a few things that will tear at your soul more than facing yourself in the mirror in the morning and saying, I was a coward, I lied, I deceived, I did the wrong thing to protect my image. And here's the thing, and I do it too. You can give yourself 25 reasons why you needed to do that. But it's too late. It'll take a toll on you. And so God, who loves you, says through Paul, listen, you, you can't be a slave to that because it'll destroy you. Obedience sets you right between you and God, between you and others, and between you and you. And so sometimes what happens is there's these things that have a hold of our heart and a hold of our mind and a hold of our emotional health and a mode of our anxiety and sense of well-being and, and they're just holding on to it, and, and we're trapped, or it feels like that. So Paul says, you got to let go of that. And here's the thing. I, I realize that some of us, the stuff that we're dealing with and the stuff that we're facing, like it's so easy for me just to say, let it go, right? And you're like, you don't know what this is doing to me. You don't know how many conversations we've had about this. You don't know how long this has been going on. And so Paul says what you have to do is you have to change your mindset. There's this language in the New Testament over and over again about changing the way that you think. And so the idea is, well, you thought this way. And for some of us, we're facing things in our life that we did think were obstacles that we couldn't overcome. And so Paul says we've got to see it differently. You have to see the world differently. You have to see yourself differently. You have to see your family differently. Um, you have to have this new way of seeing the world. And it centers around the idea of this idea of that we are to treat others in accordance with the way that God has treated us through Christ. And we realize that, that there's this thing that we are loved regardless of the choices that we've made. 
And because we are loved, we should love other people. And so if it's not good for him, if it's not good for her, if it's not good for me, it becomes off limits. And so Paul's going to double down on the language. So he writes this other letter to this church in Corinth, and, and he's going to tell them something that would have had extreme like just impact on them as soon as they heard it that will not have the impact on me and you when we first hear it. So I'll have to explain it to you. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, he says, do you not know, again, here's that statement, don't you know this? That your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. Don't you know that your body is a temple? Now, in their world, you hear that, and you've heard this language before, and, and like, you're like, yeah, my body's a temple, and like some of you that go to the gym, you're like, yeah, my body's a temple, whatever. And so uh, that's not what he's talking about, right? Um, see, when he says this, well, here's what he's saying. A temple is a temple, and a body is a body in their world. And here's why this is important. Because they've been to temples. Did you know there are people that will, and some of you will do this, you will at some point in your life get on a plane and travel to the Middle East and travel to parts of the world to see the ancient temples that were built. They were magnificent. They were beyond belief in their day. I mean, we still look at some of the temples that were built and said, without our technology and our understanding and our equipment, how do they even build some of these things? Because they're amazing. And so even if you're from a pagan background or in this world, it's a Gentile background, you saw pagan, or not pagans, you saw temples. They were everywhere and they were amazing. And if you're a Jewish person, like at some point in your life, you would make the long trek, maybe up to 1,500 miles to Jerusalem. And as you enter Jerusalem, as you go down into the city, you come back up into the city. As you come back up into the city, there's a hill. And on top of that hill would have been the most magnificent temple that you've ever seen. And see, for them, see, temples were sacred. And temples were these amazing things. And the reason that temples were so sacred is because for them, a temple is where heaven and earth come together. A temple is where the divine of whatever we are meet. And so a temple is one of the most sacred places in the world. And see, our understanding of that would be kind of like this idea like church. Like we, we see churches, and, and so we see church buildings, and, and we say, well, those are sacred places. They're not. This used to be a warehouse. Somebody bought a dining room set, probably where you're setting, you know? <laughs> it's a building. So no matter how nice of a church somebody builds, and we may build one one day, I don't know, but this, that's this is what Paul's saying. It's a building, See, what's happened is because through Jesus, God has done something where now you're a temple, which means that the person sitting next to you and beside you is more sacred than any building that's ever been built. They would have had no understanding of that. And some of us still don't. And what he's saying is you are a temple, and so you should treat yourself well, and you should treat the people around you well. Now, the pushback on some of that is this. Well, you might say, well, here's the problem. Um, I'm not a temple, and definitely the person next to me is not a temple, (laughs) because you don't know what we've done. You have no idea the amount of, of things I've grabbed onto and allowed to hold me. 
You have no idea all of the stuff that I'm dragging around. You have no idea all of the stuff that I've chosen to carry around. The burdens and the hurt. You have no idea how many people I've hurt. And you have no idea how many ways I've hurt myself. And, and Paul would say, well, so here's the problem. You, you completely misunderstood what we just said. Paul didn't say you were sacred because of your behavior. Paul said you were sacred because of who lives inside of you. He says you're sacred because I've chosen to dwell. I've chosen to allow heaven and earth to meet in you. And then he goes on and he says this. You have to remember that you were bought at a price. Now, this may sound offensive to some of us, and you might be like, I don't want to be bought. Like, I didn't want, I didn't want that. Well, okay, see, you've been purchased. Now, this is important because we've talked about this before. So, um, economics is when you take economics, and I, I barely understood it, but when you take economics, um, one of the things you, you realize early on is there's actually not a lot of value to most things, there's only perceived value. Perceived value is the idea that. It's worth this because somebody's willing to pay that for it, okay? And, and so perceived value is this idea. The value of a thing is determined by the price it will bring. See, there's a lot of things in this world that's worth a whole lot of money that you and I would be like, well, I would never buy that. Well, that's because it's not perceived that worth to us, but to somebody it is. And so the question is, what was the price that was paid for you? And the Bible is very clear. The price that was paid for you and for me was Jesus. Which means that God was willing to pay an extreme price for you. You're not cheap. You were valuable. And so for these Romans that first heard this, I mean, they're sitting there and they're going, and they set up straight and they're like, well, I never thought about it like that. You were purchased. You were purchased at a price. So here's the question for you, just out of curiosity. Um, the things that you're clinging on to so tightly, what has it ever offered you? And the thing that you won't let go of, what has it ever sacrificed for you? And that someone or something that you're holding on to so tightly, um, what has it ever paid to benefit you? Because the reality is that all of us know this, most of those things, they're actually costing us. And this is Paul's point. Why would you bow down to this? Why would you empower this? Why, why would you do something like this? Why would you allow something that hurts you and the people around you to become your master when it's not going to pay anything for you? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And then he gives us the punchline, and he says, so therefore, in light of everything I've just said, you should honor God with your bodies. Well, what does that look like? Well, it's, it's very simple. God, honoring God with your, your bodies is that I'm not going to do anything that hurts me or the people around me with my body, my life. And all of my relationships, my marriage, my kids, my dating life, my work life, sports life, whatever lives that we live, and every decision, I'm going to choose to honor God with the choices, which means I'm not going to hurt myself and I'm not going to hurt other people. So anything that demeans you, anything that demeans other people, um, you have to let go of because that's not honoring to God and you are a temple. 
you were bought with a price. You have extreme value and worth, and so do the people around you. And so back to the original question, and then we'll kind of wrap this up. Um, so what are you holding on to that's holding you back? What are you holding on to that keeps you from having a clear conscience at night? What are you holding on to that is keeping you from having the relationship you always dreamed about with your children? What's holding you back from having that relationship with your spouse or having that relationship with who could be your spouse one day? Like, what's holding you back? What's your, is it your anger? Is it a habit? Is it this need to always be right? Not do right, but to be right. Maybe this is the hardest one. Is it somebody? Is it a friend? A group of friends? A toxic relationship? If so, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your Father in Heaven, and you owe it to your future to maybe just think about letting it go. Just pull your hand right out and walk away. God loves you and He's inviting you to a way of life. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. And I want that for you, and I want that for me. So as it comes to this game of life that we all seem to be playing, what are you holding on to? That if you could just let it go, you might be free. Let's pray.